As you know, we, we began um, a series, occasional series. I heard somebody saying, are we going to do this every week? Like, no. Um, but every now and then, I like to find people who I think are heroic, who are inspirational, and who are just a part of the community faith that I have been a part of. And um, we did that with Phil and Toddy George several months ago in February. And I guess ever since I've gotten here, I've wanted John and Billy to come up and do, to be everyday heroes, because they, they are so wonderful and their story is so wonderful. And I knew you'd appreciate it. And it just took a little arm twisting, right? Just a little bit. Um, because it's actually harder. I mean, for Phil and Toddy, they don't know y'all, so they can share their story and go home, and it's not embarrassing at all, right? But for John and Billy, it's harder because they know you guys, okay? So I know that y'all are going to be very gracious as you welcome them. Thank you. There you go. So what, what we did is, since um, John has such a long and wonderful story, and there were so many parts, is that I have asked him some in 930. And so if you want to hear about the, we may have time to talk about the lunar landing, because that's pretty cool. Um, but if you want to hear those parts, then just go get the podcast from 930, because it'll be up online, okay? And we're going to talk with him today. They were really jealous, because y'all get to hear about the Apollo 13 and his role in that. But before we get there, um, let me just begin by asking you, um, John, how you got into NASA. How did you start working there? Well, NASA put an ad in the paper for a person that had certain uh, crafts, you know, and what they were going to do was build a lunar module and a command module for training, for the crew training, and uh, needed somebody that I had the right skills anyway, and they hired me, and I stayed with them for 30 years, I believe it was. That's pretty neat. And when was that? Was that, did you say that was sometime? 68. 68? Okay. 1968. And you were in your 30s, weren't you? Yes. I was 38. So, so you began um, at NASA as in the construction area building, um, yes. building their machinery. But then that isn't the ultimate job you had, is it? What did you, what did you get promoted to? Well, uh, crew training uh, supervisor. When I got through with the, the building of everything, and NASA said, uh, well, John knows all about it, and so he might as well be, we'll start up a new, uh, a new group, call them crew trainers. And that was, they made me uh, the leader of it. And so every astronaut that flew in Apollo got to know me by my first name very well because they spent a lot of hours with me. <laughs> and so, and uh, also, when we changed over to the, sh the shuttle, then uh, I had the same job, but the shuttle, I didn't have to build it. They, Rockwell built the shuttle, and uh, they built the, the trainer and the simulators. So, but you still trained yes. the shuttle astronauts, too. Yes. So what was a day like, a typical day for you? Well, it was uh, just being inside the trainers and spending my time with, there's usually 
two crew that would be trained in a day in a every day. There'd be the prime crew and then the, what they call backup crew, which was usually the next crew to go up. And uh, that was just a lot of of activity every day in the training. One of the questions I was going to ask you that I didn't get to at the first service is if you had any favorite astronauts. Yes, I did. Uh, John Young and and uh, Crippen, with my, Bob Bob Crippen were my very favorites. But then I had some that I really did like a lot too. Uh, but I've been so long ago now, I've forgotten their names. <laughs> <laughs> You, you told me that um, NASA was a very different place back then, that some of the tools that Mission Control were using back then are very different than what we have now. What were some of the things that they were using? The slide rules. All of them. <laughs> they, we didn't have computers in those days, and we didn't even have calculators. And uh, so they figured every, everything out. It's amazing when they when they finally got to the moon, we'd been uh, practicing in the simulators with with the, with the uh, hard, the, not the hardware, the uh, well, the, what do you call them? Programmers. The programmers had put together these flights, and uh, they trained with them for two years before before we actually started flying to the moon. And uh, I'll tell you a story about Stafford, one of the commanders of Apollo 10. He was a general. And he wanted everybody to know he was a general. I didn't tell you this the first time. You didn't time. tell me, though. But anyway, uh, uh, he, uh, we thought, we, a lot of us bet money on each other that, that he would find a way to land on the moon when he took the Apollo 10 flight. <laughs> but he didn't, he didn't. But we all thought he would. <laughs> well, um, maybe if we have a little, little bit of time, we can come back to the moon landing and um, just some of the really cool things that you did there. But um, why don't you tell me about Apollo 13, about what happened there? Like, when you got the call and what was going on? Well, of course, when that uh, had that explosion in Apollo 13, and uh, the flight engineers, after they found, discovered how much damage it was caused and everything, and so then they, after they found out the damage, then they could figure out how to fix it, or, how, or if they could fix it. And so they worked on it for quite a while, I guess 10 or 12 hours, and they finally found a fix for it. And then they said, they discovered, oh, shoot, we got it, we got it where they, will cut, they can come back to Earth now, but they're gonna run out of breathing air. They're not gonna have enough breathing air to get there. So that's when they called me in there, and, and, and eight others from Mission Control come over to my area there, and we sit down and figured out, we didn't sit down, we worked, figured out how to get them, uh, the lithium hydroxide is which canisters provide the air, breathing air. Uh, the ones in the lunar module were round, and the ones in the command module were square. And so uh, they 
worked out to, they said, well, we got to figure out how to do this, you know. So we got the table, and we got all the equipment out on the table. And I said, well, you probably don't know this. Very few people do. But there's a big roll of two-inch duct tape on, in the locker there. And I, I went in the command module and got the duct tape out. And uh, they said, well, God, we got to get these two together. And they could do it now with the duct tape. And so I told, I'll tell you all, like I told the first group, uh, there, the, about 25 people were all that knew that they used duct tape to get the Apollo 13 back to the ground. <laughs> yeah. And so, John, you're the one, like someone once said of you, that you are the guy who figured out how to fit a square peg in a round hole. <laughs> <laughs> That's about right. Is that right? That's about right. So um, you told us where, um, where they met. What were you thinking when that was going on? Do you remember? No, but I knew uh, when we got it together, and then we all went to mission control, took it to mission control, and the lead engineer, flight engineer, that uh, actually was carrying the thing, when he got over there to tell the the director, he said, we got a fix. We got a fix. But he said, it'll work, but it sure don't look very pretty. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, after talking with him, I went back and watched Apollo 13 for research, you know. And it looked like a, a big, big contraption with a hose. Oops, sorry, offering. I mean, it really did. It was, it was complicated. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So how did you feel when they got back down to Earth? Did you get to watch that? Oh, yes. I watched it. I was in... Uh, conference room and uh, in the building with the simulators and the trainers, you know, mm -hmm. and there was a group of us in there and we all applauded naturally. And uh, then when the crew come back to Houston, got back to Houston, we all lined up and along a parade route and then they come in from Ellington Field in a bus and uh, we got to applaud them everything. That's pretty neat. So um, a lot of people don't know this, and you certainly wouldn't say it about yourself, I know, but what was the award that you got? Oh, the Presidential Medal of Freedom Award. And let me just, let me tell you, yeah. <laughs> let me just tell you the research I did on this. I went to the, um, I went to where the United States has records about this, and this is an especially, it recognizes individuals who have made an especially meritorious contribution to the security or national interests of the United States, world peace, cultural or other significant public or private endeavors, and it is the highest award given to a civilian. It's given by the president, and John got it. Yeah. So tell, tell about um, receiving the award. Tell the funny thing that you said about the award. Do you have the actual? Oh, the, uh, they only gave us one, one uh, medal. They cheap on that, I guess. And, <laughs> and uh, the medal went to Mission Control. It's still there as far as I know. But uh, we got a copy. Each one of us was given a copy. and then out of the eight, and that was a pretty high award because uh, the uh, 
thinking about all the people that work for NASA and then just eight of us received the Congressional Medal of Freedom. That's pretty neat. And the president chooses, right? The president nominates those. It is a presidential yeah. number. That yeah. was Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon. And Mother Teresa's gotten it and many, many others. That's pretty neat. Um, when did you, how'd you feel when you found out you were getting that? Well, I was honored naturally to thought that it was uh, more of an award, more of an award than what we deserved really, I think. You know, saved the lives of three individuals and in the, the flight. But, uh, and then to receive that I thought was overwhelming. Um, well, I wanted to ask a question. Billy's up here too, because there's um, some of the stories y'all told me about your, your marriage. And so how long have, oh wait, John knows the answer to this question, I know. <laughs> how long have you been married, John? 32 years. Okay, now, so Billy, you wanna say how you met? Well, we didn't have a lot of choice. Uh, John's other mother-in-law and my mother were best friends in high school, in junior high school, on to the end of their lives. And so we were, his first wife and I were just friends from the start. But um, <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> she speaks softly. But she carries a big stick. <laughs> well, anyway, I didn't meet John until I knew he was, I knew she married somebody that worked at NASA. And I listened. By then, we had a TV. <clears throat> and I listened for his name, which I never heard. And, <laughs> but eventually, when she passed away, of course, I, I, had, I could see her in the day, but I would never meet him. And uh, so when she passed away, and she was not yet 50, um, her mother asked my mother and I to attend the funeral and be with the family, which we did. And that's the first time I really met John, but he didn't remember me then, but uh, later at a dinner party, we met, and uh, the rest is history. We went to, we dated for a year and a half because I had had a very unhappy marriage, and I would said I'd never get married again. But then he won. <laughs> Thirty-two years ago, we got married, and um, of course, I made the right decision there. You want to tell about how you proposed, John? Or about that story right after you proposed? Yeah. Well, when, we, when I proposed to her in her apartment, there was an astronaut, Ellen Bean, that was, lived in the same, same apartment. And, uh, but she didn't know it when, until she met me. And I, I met him. Anyway, he was the first person that we told, we, we, that I told we were engaged. And he knew my first wife, and uh, this was at nighttime, and he said, John, he said, look up in the sky and you see this black cloud. 
And he said, around this black cloud, around the edges of it, he said, you can see the silver lining peeking through. And I told Billy, I said, oh, he was the fourth man to walk on the moon. And uh, I said, that was very fitting that he would be the first to know we were engaged. And like I said, he knew my first wife and he knew the troubles he was having because she was having trouble for quite a while before she passed on. And John, you said that you said to me that you felt like throughout your life you had a guardian angel watching yes. over you. I have felt that way, and uh, for all my life, when I was very young, uh, I was walking down the side of the down the street, uh, it was a highway really, and uh, I got tired and I went over at a, at a tree and sat down by a tree, and. I'm getting sleepy, and this voice came to me and said, "My name was Lyle then." He said, "Lyle, get up. If you don't wait, if you don't get up and move, you're gonna freeze to death." And I didn't even know it was freezing. I, you know, I knew it was cold, but I didn't have any idea it was freezing cold. And uh, there's been several other incidents during my lifetime that uh, I could feel his presence and guidance. Uh, I think that when my first wife died, we'd been married 30 years, and uh, then I met Billy, and I think that was God's work, bringing us, bringing us together, and for instance. It's my turn. What? <laughs> <laughs> John does not talk about is that he was raised in a Catholic orphanage and had foster parents and one foster parent he's talked to me about and he really did care about him until he found out they received money to keep him and that hurt him so bad because he thought that they had him because they just loved him which was not the case. Back in, the, in those days, I mean, every penny was needed, definitely. And uh, so he was sent back, he was so bad after that, that he was sent back to the orphanage, which he didn't want to be there. And so he ran away. He was in, as I understand, like I say, he talks about it very seldom but maybe almost a teenager. And he was born in Minnesota, he was there in Minnesota, and he wanted to be in Texas. That's all he wanted was to be in Texas. He didn't care where in Texas. But, so the man that picked him up, he hitchhiked. And uh, the man that picked him up was going to Del Rio, Texas, and he said, that's okay. <laughs> and he lived there for a long time. The man that, well, he, he'll tell you about that. What? The man that was oh. Crawford. Yeah. After, after we got in, after I got into Del Rio, uh, on the main street there in Del Rio, there was a Mexican cafe, and they had a window with the food displayed in the window. And I was, what? 
looking at that, and this man walked up to me, kind of an older man, not as old as I am now, but older. Anyway, he walked up to me and he said, are you hungry, boy? And I said, I certainly am. I said, I don't know when I ate last. And so he said, well, let's go in there and get something to eat. And so he, during dinner time, uh, he told me that he was a dr drilled water wells. And drilling water wells out in the West Texas is about the same as drilling for oil here. You had to have the same kind of equipment, you know, to do that. And so he, he asked me if he wanted, if I would work for him, because his son was in the Marine Corps and uh, overseas, and he said he, he usually works for me. But he said, would you work for me if I took you home and let you sleep in my son's room and eat and, and everything, and I'll take it, I'll, I'll do your school. During school time, I'll let you off and you can go to school. So I did that, and that's how I got my schooling. <laughs> anyway, uh, worked, worked for it. But uh, that was another thing that I think God had worked out for me. That's the way I feel anyway, because any good thing that happens to me, I could always think about coming from God. Well, as, um, they, they let um, y'all from the congregation in the early service ask questions, and so before we end up, I'm going to let them ask you some questions, All things right. they're interested in. So who has a question for John or for Billy? Did you have children? No, I've, I've never sired a child. Billy, Billy adopted two of them. That was before uh, before I got married to her. What about another question, Cindy? About ten Lindsay. Ten Lindsay. Ten Lindsay. Oh, ten Lizzie. Model T. Ten Lizzie. Yeah. Yeah. Is that your? Them. Yeah. That's what they call them. It's in Spain now. Yeah. What did you? What did that? Um, what did that car do? What did it inaugurate? Oh, I started up uh, the Fourth of July parade in Briarcliff, and. Uh, and then that held, uh, I led the parade with that for a couple of years. And then I met the uh, chief, fire chief. And uh, they had just gotten a new fire engine. And I said, boy, you know, for 4th of July, it would really be nice if you could lead the parade in the fire truck and, and have the sirens blowing and everything like that. And they said, he said, yeah, he said, we can do that. He said, just let me know when you're going to start. And so I did. I called him, when, and he came right on over. With the, so the last year, there was two fire trucks leading the parade, and it grew every year. But you started that, didn't you, yes. with your Model T? Yeah. yeah. And last year's first time, we have not had the Model T. Yeah. Last year was the first time that you didn't have it. Yeah. I couldn't, you know, I can't work on it anymore. Everything that broke on it was underneath the car. <laughs> so, <laughs> any, yes, Jimmy. Sir, I, I 
<laughs> thank so he's thank saying, you. what do you think is the future of the space program? Since oh, the space program? Yeah. I thought you were talking about the Model T. So, <laughs> he'd still like you to lead the future parade of yeah. space. Do you have any ideas about the future? N not really. I, you know, I'll tell you all something that irked the heck out of me about NASA now. They've known for years that they were going to have to retire the shuttle. And they don't have anything built to replace the shuttle. So now all the astronauts that go to the space station, they have to go in the Soyuz, the Russian Soyuz. And uh, the Soyuz is a small, very small vehicle. It, you know, won't carry very much of, of anything. But the Russians are charging the United States for every astronaut that goes. And I think it amounts to about two million dollars, I've heard. Something like that. Ron, did you have a question? Oh. Um, well, I just, most people don't know this, but we were neighbors of John Billy, one of the first two Briar Club in 91. And within Briar Club, most of the people in Briar Club know this, there was a boy park that's named after John Billy. Yeah, there's, um, there actually is a Boyd Park named after John and Billy. And why don't y'all tell, um, they said, what do you want in that park? And so what did you, what did you say? Well, we, we have a gazebo at the house, and we love we loved to have company and have picnics in the gazebo. So I said, well, if you're going to put something in the park, you might as well put a gazebo in there. And so that's what they did. And then they got benches in there. And now the school district uses it for picking up kids. And the kids can come in during bad weather and uh, being protected a little bit, you know. Mm -hmm. So it is one more. Up. Yeah. John, why don't you tell everybody what do you feed the fox? There you go. <laughs> there you go. What do you feed? You know, it's the funniest thing. I got this little fox that comes up every night around nine o'clock now, and uh, he'll come to the back door and just sit down until I go out there and I give him a cookie. <laughs> I buy these special cookies. They're not special, but they're human. They're Fox human. cookies. And I just hold, hold it out there and hold it down, and he comes up there and takes it out of my hand. She, I think it's a she. I think she's pregnant. She's either pregnant or she's getting fat off the cookies. <laughs> well, y'all, what I'm going to do is, um, as we close, is it okay with the music team if we just, we close the first service with just a prayer and a benediction. Is that okay with y'all? And Gustavo played us out. Um, and I'm going to have John and Billy stay up here so that you can greet them and, and just tell them how glad you are that they shared. The whole point, I'm hoping, in having everyday heroes is not only that we get to benefit by hearing stories um, from other people's lives and hearing how God has been with them, and being inspired by what God has done with them. But also that we would remember that to somebody, we are a hero. Somebody is watching you. They're looking at how you respond. And you may not ever get the Presidential Medal of Freedom for it, but you can change a life by, by just your actions. And just what John said is, he just knows God was with him through all of this. He trusted that behind those clouds was the silver lining if he just kept going. Did you want to say anything else? You asked me one question. Uh, how did you maintain your faith? And I maintained my faith by attending church regularly on a regular basis and by Bible studies and praying.
but I've gone to numerous Bible studies. David told me when my last one, he was leading the Bible study. And he said, well, at your age, and you've been going to Bible studies, he said, it, you ought to know the Bible inside out by now. <laughs> and so I quit going to Bible study. <laughs> I decided I didn't need to anymore. <laughs> that was probably an unintended consequence of that statement. <laughs> well, y'all, let's, um, let's close in prayer and let, the, let this be the benediction. God, thank you so much for John and for Billy, for their lives, for how you've been with them, how you've sustained them, how, how you brought him through um, those difficulties in childhood and helped walk with him and his first wife and those last three years that they had and then introduced him to Billy and just all that he's done um, for us, for our community, for our country. We are so grateful for him. And Lord, I pray that he would be an inspiration to us to do all that we do with excellence and to know that as we keep close to you, as we want to stay connected to you, you will be with us. And so may that be our prayer, Lord, today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And be blessed. We'll see you next week.